Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be there in maybe five minutes or so. We're going to kind of camp out on those uh, few verses in a few minutes. Uh, I want you to do a math problem for me, and we'll use it later on. I want you to calculate how long you've been a Christian, and I'm most interested in uh, those who have been following Jesus for 50 years or more. So if you're less than 50 years old, you don't have to do the math problem. You can if you want to. Uh, but I'm interested in, I'm not going to embarrass you. We are going to, uh, to honor you in a small way, but, um, but I want you to calculate if you've been a believer, if you've been following Jesus for more than 50 years. So if you're like 52 or 53 years old and you knew Jesus just growing up, you're in. If you calculate it and you know the very day that you gave your life to Jesus and you're like at 49 years and eight months, you're in, okay? Like round up, all right? If you're 60 years old, you came to Jesus at 10, that's you. So do that math problem. Uh, we want you to know who you are at the end of the service today. Uh, so this, uh, we've been progressing through exploring the kingdom. I just want to kind of recap and review for clarity where we are so far uh, within this series of messages, and we're going to continue to plow through. Uh, even when Paul Martini and Richard Seltzer come for the Seek First conference at the end of this month, they know exactly what we've been preaching on. I shared uh, with Paul several weeks ago what every topic and in, in the bulk of scripture of what we were going to be sharing. So they know where we're headed. They know what God's speaking to the congregation, and they're going to be praying about what to bring uh, forth in those days too. So I would encourage you to mark those off. Uh, that it's at Friday night. It's in your bulletin. Friday night at seven. Saturday there are three services, and Sunday there's a morning service or normal 10 a.m. and then at 6 p.m. that night. I would really encourage you to be here and participate in those services. All right, the first thing I want to bring clarity to is that the kingdom of God is a spiritual dimension. Uh, that is God's domain. It's where he rules and where he reigns. It's not a physical kingdom, and he's not trying to set up uh, to be king over a physical territory. God's interested in the hearts of the people. That's why we've used the working definition of God's kingdom, which is God's heart for his people, uh, expressed through the lives of his children, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if you're looking for the kingdom of God, he says, listen, it's not something that you're seeing. It's not something you're eating and drinking. It is within you. It's within the hearts of people. The second thing, just to review, is that the aspect of God's kingdom that we are studying is not the full expression of his kingdom. We're discussing only the portion that God intended for Adam and Eve to have, which was lost during rebellion, which Jesus brought back with him to earth when he was born, which he gave to the disciples to preach and to pass on to us until his return. The third point of clarity is this. The fullest expression of God's kingdom will be experienced in the new Jerusalem. Now, many of you might just look at it as a heaven and hell thing, but it's actually the new Jerusalem and where we will dwell. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read these verses in Revelation 21. It talks about what's going to happen. And this is where the fullness of God's kingdom will be expressed because we'll actually be with him face to face. It says here in Revelation 21, starting at verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now, listen to this, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. How many of you know that's a fuller expression of the kingdom than what we're experiencing now? He will be with us forevermore. It says in verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So this is the great thing about this is we get a glimpse of what the full expression of his kingdom will be like. And now here on earth, we get to work toward that. We get to partner with God to see these things, to see the works of the enemy destroyed even right here and now. Fourth thing I want to bring clarity to is this. We are not responsible for the new heavens and the new earth. God's a sovereign God. He has decided when Jesus is returning again for the final judgment. What we're responsible for doing is carrying his kingdom, his message, his love, his presence with us here and now to continue to advance and establish his kingdom on earth. There might be a time where we talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the the afterlife as some people talk about it. But as we mentioned week after week, we are going to learn how to steward his kingdom right now as it advances across the earth. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven. Now, remember, we talked about this the first week. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. Matthew used heaven. He was speaking to a Jewish audience who did not use the the primary name for God. So we're talking about the same exact thing. What's being established in our hearts so it can be established in the hearts of other people so his kingdom can expand, expand, expand. It says, uh, from from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, I know there are several translations that that do uh, different things with the words there. But what Jesus is saying is, from the time John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then when Jesus started his ministry and said, repent for the kingdom of God is near or is at hand or is with us. Jesus said from that very time when John the Baptist started preaching it all the way up and through now, the kingdom is forcefully advancing. And that does not mean we are using force to advance it. Does that make sense? We're not using force or coercion or manipulation, none of that stuff. But this is a spiritual war. So his, his kingdom is forcefully cutting through the works of the enemy to reestablish what God intended man and woman to have from the very first time in the garden. And it continues on. It didn't stop when Jesus said this. So it continues on through the handing off to the disciples and the handing off to us. So one of the ways that we can advance his kingdom while representing God effectively is to learn to use the keys of the kingdom in which we live. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at the keys of the kingdom. Now, keys are a very normal and functional part of everyday life, right? We can relate to them, how they work. But what I want to see is how they actually relate to Jesus and his kingdom. I started researching keys a little bit and I found out that the earliest known lock and key device actually comes from the biblical city of Nineveh. It's where it believes to be invented around 704 BC. So these locks uh, were later developed into what was called an Egyptian wooden pin. So you'll see on the left-hand side, uh, we've seen those pictures uh, you know, in, in old photographs before, but on the right-hand side is what's actually happening inside. It was a wooden key. It had three pins on it, and then you see it was drilled in. 
So these other pins, they, they would fall in, which would keep the bolt uh, from sliding out. So the key would be inserted in, would be lifted up, the three bolts lift up, and then you could slide that bolt out, which is unlocking uh, the very first key was wooden. Of course, it didn't last long, so they've developed, made a lot more advancements, but their primary use has remained the same, right? What does a natural key do? It unlocks something that's locked. Pretty simple. It locks up or protects special possessions, and it gives you greater access into areas that you want to gain this access. I looked online for some other uses of keys, and some other people, you know, they, they, they said some of the things. Let me just see a quick show of hands. Who, have, who has ever used a key as a necklace charm? These are just some other uses. All right. What about to clean your boot treads? Ever dug in your boots with, with keys? Yeah. Who has ever cut string with it as a dull knife? Yeah, I, I have too. Like probably thicker than we should have. We're just wearing away the key. What about as an impromptu bottle opener? Just pop, yeah. To remove splinters. That sounded painful to me when I read that. Yeah, I, I've never used a key to remove a splinter. Now we're in church, so don't raise your hand for this, but many people said they have used keys to scratch off lottery tickets, those little scratch and things. I never heard this one, to weigh down drapes. Has anybody ever put it in the bottom of a drape to weigh it down? Yeah, I don't know. Somebody has out there, they put it online. Who knows? But if we see throughout life, there's a progression in how we obtain keys in our life. Keys are given to us because of authority. When, when greater authority is given to us, we're given keys in the natural sense. But they should not come just based on age. They should come through maturity because maturity is needed to gain greater responsibility, which is needed for greater uh, authority. So let's just look quickly at the progression of life with keys. First, a toddler. A toddler would get toy keys, right? doesn't have the ability to open or lock anything. It's simply used for tactile function, for noise, for development. In preschool sometime, you'll get a key to a lawnmower or a powered vehicle. Now you're feeling strong. You can click that thing along. It helps with imagination. Sometime in elementary school, if you were a family that did this, maybe you would get a key in a lock box uh, or a money box used to develop personal responsibility over money. So the child would have their key or their little code. They'd get to keep it hidden somewhere. Maybe sometime in middle school, uh, your parents maybe hit a key in a rock. They don't have these too much anymore. They usually have codes on the side of, uh, uh, of garage doors, but they'd have a key in, in a rock to the house that'd give you greater access to a safe place after school. Sometime in high school, your parents may have given you a key to a hotel room while you were on vacation. If you were gonna come back earlier or later than parents, you'd be given that responsibility, that authority to the hotel room. Sometime in high school, the greatest leap of maturity, the greatest leap in consequence is also the keys to the car. Now, this is where teenagers, you say, hey, I'm 16, and the parents are saying, wait a minute, we need maturity, not just age, because there's a great level of authority that comes with this. Next, you move on to college, you get a key to the dorm room, eventually an apartment. This is your home away from home. Then you become a working professional. Maybe you get the access code to a keypad outside your office door that gets you in. Again, a lot of authority when you're allowed into places that non-employees are not permitted. And then adulthood comes. You get your key to your very first house. This is your entryway into adulthood. And then, if you think about it, you can have responsibility over other people's houses also, where people say, hey, I'm away on vacation, or can you come and care for me if it's a, an elderly parent or whatever, where you have keys there as well. 
That's a normal progression in life, right? Wouldn't you say? You start out with the little plastic ones and until you're overseeing other people's properties. But this comes with maturity. Now, in a biblical sense, keys also represent authority. And with authority, we want to make sure that we're walking in that responsibility and the maturity that Jesus has for us that we can operate with these keys how he wants to. So the same thing, you look at the natural use of a key, it's the same as spiritual. You unlock areas of access that have been locked up by the enemy. It's a biblical use of a key. You lock up or protect special possessions such as your heart or your mind, where you gain greater access to areas that are included in the inheritance that we receive from God. These are all keys that Jesus hands us throughout our life. And here we are in Matthew chapter 16. If you open there, we're going to read just a few verses, and then we're going to stay on uh, just really two of them for the remainder of the message. In verse 13, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say? What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, who often spoke first and loudest, he steps in. He says, you are the Christ, which means the word Messiah, which means the anointed one. It's what the Jews were waiting for. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this has not been revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And these are the two verses I want to stay on here. In verse 18, it says this. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now, Peter in the original language is Petros, which is a form of Petra, which means rock. So he's saying here, I tell you, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, which can be translated hell or the place of the dead, will not overcome it. Some of your translations would say what? Will not prevail against it. The most literal translation here would be, it will not prove to be stronger than my church. So what he's saying here is, what I'm building upon you, Peter, what I'm building upon your confession of faith, this other, this kingdom of darkness will in no way, shape, or form overcome what I'm about to build. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These two verses could be an entire sermon series in themselves. Every phrase I'm about to talk about here could be an entire sermon in itself. I'm just going to touch for a few minutes to give us a taste of what these keys are. First, he says, I will build my church. I started looking into what this word church is. Uh, most translators would translate the word ecclesia. Some of, it, some of them would translate it ecclesia, depending upon what theologian you follow. We've always called this word the church, but the original meaning of this word, if you look it up in the Greek, the original meaning is not a religious term. It's actually a governmental term. So follow this out. This word means called out ones, but not in a religious sense first. What it was, it was in, uh, I'm going to get this right, in the government of ancient Athens, so about 6,000 men would be called out of the general population to be the popular assembly. So about 6,000 men would be called out of the 30,000 to 60,000 that were in the population at that time. And they would be called out to set laws. They would be called out to elect officials. But their two primary roles were to declare war and to set military strategy. Now follow this out. When Jesus is saying, Peter, 
on this rock, I will build my ecclesia or ecclesia. He, Peter knows what he's talking about automatically. He's not thinking, wait a minute, you want a bunch of people to meet together to go to church every Sunday? That's not what was going through Peter's head. We see that. I will build my church. What's church? Oh, yeah, you come here once a week. You, you know, if you're more involved, you serve. And if you're more involved, you come on Wednesday nights. Peter was not translating it that way. He's saying, I am going to build a group of called out ones who are responsible for declaring war and for military strategy. That's what Peter hears. So now when he says in the gates of hell and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, Peter knows what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about him being the sole king, these, these group of people being called out from all of the other kingdoms of the world so that Jesus would reign the sole king in his kingdom, and now they are declaring war on the gates of Hades. This was never meant to be, I was once in the world, and now I go to a 90-minute service once a week. That's not what he heard. It's so hard, like in the English translation, because we just see how we build my church, and we think about what church is. Now, church, we always know we are the church. The people of God are the church. But in that original language, it was called out in a governmental sense to declare war and military strategy. So Jesus is saying, Peter, upon this confession, I'm going to build this thing from this point on. Later on in verse 18, it says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Again, I talked about this, that the powers of death will not prevail against it. If you think what gates are in kingdoms, they were ways of passage, but they were also represented strength and power. So for the gates of Hades or the gates of death, once you enter through this, there's no return, right? Death was the final power against mankind before Jesus' resurrection. I love what Jesus is about to do. He's about to give the keys of the kingdom to mankind to carry on, to lock up what this power was. When you think about those gates of Hades, I mean, that would have been man's greatest enemy. And now he's saying, listen, because of the keys I'm about to give you, because of my kingdom, this will never prevail. It will never overcome you. Death will have no power, no sting. It won't win. I'm about to build something here that will overcome any power or principality that comes against it. That's what he's saying when he's saying these gates of Hades or gates of hell will not prevail against it or will not overcome it. In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to see here, he's not giving him keys to the kingdom. He's giving him keys of the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus' assumption is, is once you come in, you're not leaving. You're not locking this thing up. The doors to the kingdom of heaven have been flung wide open for anyone to enter who shall will in their heart, right? So everybody's allowed to come in. All you do is you bow your knee to the king. You say, no longer my life, but your life. So he's giving him keys of the kingdom, and these keys are supposed to be able to operate things once you're already in the kingdom of God. It's so you can thrive within this kingdom. He's giving it to Peter, and of course, it relates to the rest of the church. So I started to look at this. This is almost like a spiritual ceremony. He's like, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I started thinking about how they would give keys to the city in different areas. It started in the United States in the early 1700s, but the first time that it originated was in medieval Europe when a real key uh, was started being given during a ceremony of honor. It was around the 6th or 7th century. So what would happen is this. A monarch or a ruler came to a city or a town 
the leaders would greet them and hold a celebration in his honor. And what they would actually do is give this guest a real key that would unlock the real lock and bolt on the city doors. And what this, this honor bestowed upon them is that this person was able to come in and go out any time they wanted to. So this was a huge honor. Now, in the United States, when we started doing it, it was symbolic. It was in 1702 in New York City. Mayor Philip French gave Edward Hyde, who was a business, uh, British governor of New York City, what was called the freedom of the city. It was a key to the city. He was given this as a form of a symbolic key. And today we do this in ceremonies, right? We, you'll see it presented in a symbolic way. The key doesn't open up anything, but it's a gift to them saying, you are free to come and go as you choose. So if you look at these verses today that we're looking at, Jesus was not just giving Peter a physical key. I don't believe that he had something in his pocket at that time. What he's saying is, I'm about to hand you the authority needed to thrive in my kingdom. So we have to look at this. God is sovereign on one side, can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And he's also chosen to give us authority to advance his kingdom in partnership with the Holy Spirit during every breath that we have here on this earth. So he gives us a free will to obey him, and he also gives us an assignment to fulfill. So if we think about these keys, these keys were Jesus's teachings. It was teachings about the kingdom. It's what he imparted to them as he walked the earth and as he taught them about the kingdom of God. Well, we weren't there when Jesus walked the earth. So fortunately, we have his word. And in his word, in this book, it's the constitution. It's the law of the land, if you will. It's his agreement with us. It's his covenant between his people and the king. And it's in this book that as we read it and as we receive revelation from it, that we will walk in more authority and be handed over all of the keys needed to thrive in this kingdom. I believe the moment you say yes to Jesus, you receive the whole set of keys. But I also believe that as a good father, as a good parent, God's not giving you all this breakthrough at one time when you don't even have the faith to receive it. Does that make sense? He's not withholding it from you. He's saying, listen, I'm the parent. I have everything from the toy key to the house key. I have everything in between, but this is what you're ready for. Play with these for a while. And then we're moving you up to the spiritual lawnmower and then eventually to the lockbox. You guys follow me? It's all in here. It's all the keys of his kingdom. One of the keys I want to touch on briefly comes from John 14. I believe the verses will be on there. This key is using the name of Jesus. Can you say the name of Jesus? Most of us use this as an ending to our prayer, right? Dear Heavenly Father, give us a good day, da 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 In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This was never supposed to be like, sincerely, Kurt, signing off. That's not, that's not what that phrase is. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you do that? Every prayer, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's actually faith that should be attached to that phrase, and Jesus teaches why. In John 14, 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may bring glory, I'm sorry, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, if you look at 12, it's saying, listen, you're gonna do what I've been doing. So what does this look like? This looks like us becoming like the king. 
right? We're citizens of a kingdom. We're becoming more and more like the king until our actions, our attitudes, our will, our purpose, our heart, our compassion, our love, our power, where all those things look like the king and we're actually living our life out like him minus the divinity part. And then he starts getting into using his name. When you think about using his name, it's not for our own selfish reasons. He's saying, you can ask for anything at all. You some people, wow, I want you know, chocolate ice cream every night. Like that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, you're doing what I'm gonna be doing. In fact, even more what you'll be doing to represent my kingdom. And within this context, ask what you want. Use my name and it will be given to you. Now, they're not thinking, wait a minute, I should close all of my prayers with, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. What they knew is this. When a king sent a representative out with a declaration to leave the land of one kingdom and go across the river and enter into another land, what they would do is they would say, I am here in the name of King Edward XII to proclaim to you today. They would crack the seal of the king open and they would declare that. Now the people in this kingdom, even though they're not a part of that kingdom, they must receive that message as if it was from the king himself. Why? Because they said, I'm coming in the name of the king. So what Jesus says is, you're in my kingdom, but I'm sending you into the kingdom of darkness. I'm sending you into all the kingdoms of the world to declare to what the devil is trying to do. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. You must go. You must leave. Things must change from here. That's what they heard. They didn't hear the end of a prayer. They heard, oh my goodness, you're giving me your name? You're my king and you're giving me your name to use against the powers of the gates of Hades, the powers of darkness. It said so much more depth than when we read it. There's power in the name of Jesus. We sing it over and over again. I want our faith to attach to it. When we think about these keys, they're also secrets. They're not being hidden from you. They're simply to be searched out by us in this book. In another instance, these kingdom secrets. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus, it says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In verse 5, he gives the parable of the farmer who sowed the four different types uh, of seed. I'm sorry, four, sowed seed in the four different types of ground. And then in verse 9, he says, his disciples asked him what the parable meant. And he said this, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. Follow that out. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though they see, they might not actually see. And though they're hearing, they might not understand. So what this is, is these are secrets that are meant to simply be searched out by believers in scripture. Look at a lock and a key works this way. You see key in the physical, right? You see what's happening. You stick it into the lock. You don't see what's going on here. You turn the lock and it unlocks something. We have the keys of his kingdom right before us. It's in the natural. It's open. Nothing's hidden. But what you have to do is prepare your heart. So as these words go into the secret places of your heart and to your spirit, something unlocks, faith gets built up, and then you thrive in the kingdom more and more. So it's this simple. You read your Bible. Amen. Amen. That's simple. Read your Bible. 
When you're reading your Bible, be aware that there are keys of his kingdom all throughout this, how we can thrive in this life. And number three is this, slow down enough to ask questions. This is not like rocket science. Read your Bible, be aware that there are secrets of his kingdom throughout here and just slow down enough. God, what does this mean? What does this mean? Wait a minute, you actually said I'm gonna do what you're doing? Like that sounds outrageous, this sounds crazy. What does this mean? Slow down enough to look at these things and he will begin to unlock these things. The last portion I wanna share in verse 19, it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are so many different teachings on binding and loosing. You hear it usually, you know, from, from the ones that, that talk more in spiritual language or study spiritual warfare, angelic activity, powers and principalities. You'll hear like these phrases here. I'm telling you, whether you use that language or not, you have the authority to bind and loose. You just might not be aware of what that looks like. If you look at what in this verse, the most practical way, Jesus is handing Peter spiritual keys to bind and loose. So what does bind and loose mean? To lock and unlock, to permit or forbid. It's that simple. So he's saying, I'm handing you keys. The gates of hell don't have a chance. With these keys, with these spiritual truths, you are to forbid things and you are to allow things to happen. If you look at, I don't, want to, I don't want to confuse you here. If you look at the tense of some of the grammar in this verse, it could actually be phrased this way. Follow this out. Whatever is bound on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So what we're, what we're, if, you, if you look at it from that perspective, what we're doing is we're just simply looking at the fullest expression of the kingdom is heaven. What is allowed there and what is forbid there? So while, now what we can do is we can bind the works of the enemy and we can bind depression and we can bind pain and we can bind all these things that the devil's trying to do. We're saying, you're not allowed to do this because in the fullest expression of my king, who's Jesus in heaven, there's no way that stuff's allowed up there. And then on the flip side, what you're loosing, you're taking your keys of the kingdom and you're loosing or permitting peace. You're permitting love. You're permitting healing. You're permitting power to flow. You're not doing that in your own power, right? You're using the name of Jesus. So if you're saying, well, I don't have the power to loot, you know, bind and loose. Well, he's saying that Peter does. And then he's teaching them in other areas that they use the name of Jesus. So what we're doing is we have these spiritual keys and we're basically saying, Father, what is your will in this situation? You get a heart from God, from his word, and understanding what is already done in heaven. And then in the authority that God has given you, using the name of Jesus, you begin to pray. I know that, I know that Jesus taught that we can use his name. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to use his name. I'm going to believe in the name of Jesus. This is going to happen. Oh, it didn't work the way I thought. I'm going to try it again. Have you ever done that? You've put a key that you thought, you know, was the right key or whatever. You put it in and it doesn't work. You just walk away and say, oh, this the one doesn't work. You throw it out. No, like you'll catch a sweat trying to open that thing up. But we don't do that spiritually a lot. We're like, oh, no, that prayer didn't work. Throwing that one out. I'll try something. Oh, no, that didn't work. I'll throw that one out. No way. If, there, if it was your house and it's cold and windy in the middle of the night, you're going to work that key until it opens the door. 
So when we pray for things and we don't see it, don't get discouraged. Just keep on working the key. Keep on working the key. What do you do? I take it out sometimes, like wipe it off. Like that's not going to work, but <laughs> wipe it off. You look at it to see if it's worn away. So that's all you do. Take the thing out. God, this isn't working. I've prayed for healing. I've prayed for breakthrough. I've prayed for my kid. Whatever it is, right? This is not working. So can you show me how it works? Is there, is, there, is there a number in the code that just isn't lining up? And I believe we're gonna see greater and greater breakthrough for it. We're each gonna receive a key at the end of service, which is gonna happen in just a few minutes. And I've asked our elders, our elders are gonna distribute, distribute it to the majority of you. And we've, I've told them, and they know, this isn't like just some routine, like, here you go, see you later, get out of the church, you know, whatever. It's not that. They're gonna bless you with a key of authority in the name of Jesus for his kingdom's sake. To know that we've already been given all the spiritual keys needed. But I'm believing that there'll be a blessing of the Lord upon your life when this key is distributed to you. But first, I'm gonna ask two groups to come up. And I'd like to personally, with my wife and I, hand you a key for a specific reason. So the first group I want to, uh, to ask up here is if you've been following Jesus for 50 years or more, don't hesitate, don't, yeah, I want you just to come forward. If you know you've been following Jesus, I want you to stand right along this green side here, and I want you to face the congregation. All right, so you can just spread out in the front. I love it. Look at this. For half of a century, these folks have been following Jesus. Come on. Fifty years or more following Jesus as King. Hallelujah. Come on. Woo! You could just work all if if um Pastor Juan, if you can help them work all the way back that way. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. If you if you ladies can turn to your right, Pastor Juan's gonna have you spread all the way out so we can get to you. Wow. Talk about cornerstones of a church for over 50 years. All right, I'm going to speak to you in just, in just a moment. If we need to, you, know, you, can, you can stay right there. And it's okay if we can't. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to them. What I want to ask at this time is for, if you are in like, kin, oh, I, I don't know about kindergarten, if a parent wants to come up, if kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, like if you're still in high school, what I want you to do is I want you to stand across from them at this part of the altar facing in. So don't wait. If you're in kindergarten through high school, I want you just to come. I know that there won't be as many of you, but you can just kind of start over here. Eric, you can kind of help here and just face them in a single foul line. Yep, just spread across as far as you can. It's good, there's a good many of them. Thank you guys. All right, so I wanna to speak to those of you who have been following Jesus for more than 50 years. What I felt in my prayer time is that I specifically wanted myself and my wife to hand you a key. This key is no different than the other keys that are gonna be given, but through prayer, I want to hand you a key of impartation today, which is a commission, a calling, uh, uh, a request, an admonition from your lead pastor to take 50 plus years 
I feel like I can't see them. Jesus doesn't mind this. <laughs> to take 50 plus years of God's word pouring in you and to feel the freedom and the authority and the courage to pray, God, who do you want me to take a half of a century worth of information and revelation and God's word and power and miracles. And some of you have seen revival even at the laying on of your own hands. Who is it, Father, that you want me to pour out to? Because the youngest ones in our adult church and the rest of our church are in need of it. We want it. We give you permission to take the keys of the kingdom and pass them to future generations. So we're gonna do that first and then we'll do the young ones after. Why don't you just pray for these folks so you're not just sitting there. Just pray for them, bless them through your own words. Yeah, yeah, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. She gets a kiss, she's my mom. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you. students, I want you to just find somebody, lay your hand on them that's right in front of you. Let's pray. Just find, just students, you can just find, I know we can't spread out to everybody. You guys can just extend your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. We honor these men and women who've been following you for over half of a century. Father, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus for supernatural strength and for clarity of mind. I pray if there's anyone here that wants to do more of your work, that wants to disciple, that wants to pour out, but just doesn't feel clarity of mind or doesn't feel strength enough in their body, I pray even right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring clarity of mind, that you would bring health and strength to their physical body, that they would know God is not done. God says, I am not done with you yet. I am not done with you yet. And you can take that all the way to your very last breath. Father, we thank you for them. We ask and we bestow a blessing, a special blessing upon each and every one of them to have the freedom and the permission to carry on your kingdom work until their very last breath. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I want you to stay up there. Uh, students, if you could just step back for a moment come in the middle here. Students, you are at the prime of 
your life when it comes to receiving from God in his word. You're learning, you're in classes, you're used to it. You're used to memorizing, you're used to doing homework, you're used to asking questions. So this is the season of your life where God can break forth so much of his word where you don't have to wait until you're a leader in the church or a leader of a ministry. You can absolutely lay your hands on the sick right now and expect healing. You can absolutely lead people to Jesus. You can preach, you can teach, you can do all of those things at this age. And the Lord wants you to have the faith to grow in that right now. So what I feel led to give you, same key as before, but the the word that, that I feel like is revelation not the book of Revelation, but the aspect of God revealing things to you through his word. And through that revelation, I believe when you see things, it's gonna be a light bulb goes off. Like, wow, I never saw it this way. I never saw it like this. And I believe the Lord is going to stir up so much hunger in you that us older adults are going to want that same hunger. We're gonna see fire in your eyes. We're gonna see hunger. We're gonna see this stirring up in you. I'm gonna say, wait a minute, I better get on my game. I see little Jeremiah plugging into the word and walking in faith and walking in power. I see Sam doing things that he's always wanted to do, but at this age, not at that age, and we're gonna want that. It's gonna encourage us even as adults to press on. So Sharice and I give you and we bless you with the key of revelation, and then we're gonna have our 50 year plus, lay hands on them in just a moment. Fifty plus years following Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and step forward and lay your hands on these young ones? All right, Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that you would stir up a gift of revelation in every single one of them, including who's in the nursery, the preschool, and super church receiving their keys today. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would stir up a hunger in these youth that Central has never seen before. Father, we thank you that you have imparted within this church over 100 individuals who were born and raised in this church or who, and who are in full-time ministry. So we know that you've done it before, and we ask you now to use their ceiling as the floor of the next generation. Father, I pray that you would give them the gift of biblical revelation, that they would see these not just as Bible stories, but they would, they would see these as life giving truth, life-giving principles, life-giving covenant reality, that they can walk these things out right here and now. Father, we declare over every single one of them, there is no junior Holy Spirit. God doesn't have a small Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a cousin Holy Spirit. He doesn't have a grand cousin Holy Spirit. He has Holy Spirit, and you've given your Holy Spirit to every single one of them, starting at birth all the way through. So Father, I pray that you would stir up a hunger, stir up a thirst, stir up a passion to learn your word and to use these keys 
for your kingdom's sake. We release them and commission them to be world changers right here and now. The starting line is behind you, students. You're already in the race. You don't have to wait another day. We thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Can you say amen if you agree with that? Amen. Why don't we honor them as they sit back down? Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.